First off, I'm going to tell you, when I started to do the seven deadly sins and I started to study them and I thought, oh, I don't deal with the seven deadly sins and I started to study them like every one of them. It's like, my goodness, I'm bad. And then I realized that these things are beating me up too. So today I'm going to get a little bit in your face and that's okay. Trust me, it's the word of God and it got in my face too a little bit too. So I'm suffering with you. Um, but God has done some really cool stuff in this and it's really done, um, at least in my life, going through and studying these and seeing not just what the sins are, but how Christ overpowers them in our life and the, and the freedom that he gives on their side is just phenomenal. So uh, we're going to be talking about laziness today, so I thought it would be, uh, and sloth is another word for laziness. So our memory verse today comes to Proverbs 10.4, and it says this, Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Isn't that a great verse for, for sloth? Yeah, of course it is. I picked it. All right. See, today we're going to talk about this, and it's going to be a little surprising to you as to... Uh, when I was studying this, I thought, oh, I don't got to worry about laziness. I am an American. I got the Protestant work ethic. I'm even Protestant. I didn't grow up Protestant. I was Catholic, and I went to Protestant. So now I got a really great work ethic, right? And I, my schedule is so busy, and I thought, you know, I'm so busy, I can't even do good things, and I'm doing great things, right? That's how busy I am. I talk to other people, and we commiserate about how busy we are. This is the one sin that I don't worry about, all right? Oh, boy, was I wrong, so we're going to talk today about laziness, and the thing is that we live in a culture that I think is so susceptible to this particular sin. It blow your minds. See, it's not that we're busy. It's that are we doing the right thing? Are we busy doing the right thing? And I found in my own life that maybe, um, not just maybe, I wasn't. So here's a, here's a truth for you that you can test with one another. Um, you have 24 hours in every day, don't you? And the person next to you has 24 hours in that day. And every one of you uses every single hour. In fact, they use every single second. Every person does. And what are you doing for all those seconds? Well, you don't just like disappear. You don't put your life on pause. You don't get to save it up for later. You're busy every day doing something. Sometimes what you're busy doing is drooling and breathing. Maybe. Right? That's when you sleep. But we're doing other things. Every one of us fills every single second whole idea when somebody says, I'm just too busy. Well, how come other people aren't? Right? It's not a matter of, of, of do we have time. It's what are we doing with the time? And that's what this is all about. Because time is a gift. It's a, it's a resource that God has given us. And he says, if I give you something, then I expect something. Right? And there's something good for it. Now, we can squander it and waste it. And we'll talk about the, the difficulty of that. In fact, lazy hands brings poverty. Or we can do something with it, and there's a great benefit for it. So the question is not what are you doing, but are you doing the right things? And so we see that sloth is, is, is not just laying around. It's an attitude. It reveals the wrong priorities. Because if you're laying around and you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, your priorities are in the wrong place. They're about rest, or they're about you, or about comfort. Sloth talks about our priorities and goes to the deep places in our heart. And so maybe if you struggle with sloth, it's that you really just don't have a, a good work ethic and you just have a hard time getting up and doing anything, no inner motivation. Or maybe your sloth has to do with you've got too much of that inner motivation about building your own kingdom. In order to get away from sloth, we've got to look at what are we supposed to be doing? What does God want from us in our lives? So this morning, we're going to examine this deadly sin. And it is deadly, and I think it's, our culture really struggles with this. But we're also going to uncover its unsurprising cure. Like so far, every time Jesus fixes something, we're like, wow, I didn't see that coming. Today, like the cure is like, well, duh, right? So it'll be fun, but we're going to look at it anyway because it's powerful. All right, so here we go. If you have a Bible... You want to turn it to, uh, what is it, uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, and that's going to be page 828. And as you turn there, I'm going to talk about the first thing is that laziness does, it hurts the whole body. And that's what you, um, this passage is about. In fact, if you don't have a Bible, we've got a bunch of them in the back. And if you need a Bible, just keep it, our gift to you. Um, and so, uh, three to 2 Thessalonians. We're going to start here, 2 Thessalonians 3, um, and we're going to start there in verse 6. Now, you'll notice this is the end of the letter. Paul writes to the uh, church at Thessalonica, and he's telling them this is how we live a right life. This is how the church is supposed to operate. And think about when you're finishing a letter, you're kind of summarizing maybe some of the major points, and you're also getting some last bits in there um, before you, you have to sign off, right? You're giving the last little bits of, of good information. So here's what we have from Paul, starting in verse 6. He says, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you. Now, when it, something starts that way, it's like, hey, pay attention right? 
Right? Have you ever like started a sentence that way? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command you. Right? You have some people like, whoa, that's coming on awfully strong. Like they must care about this, right? In the name of God, this is a command, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. As a people pleaser, this is a hard one for me. Right? I have a wonderful way, just my nature, to enable people in bad actions because I don't want to make them uncomfortable. But the Word of God continues to make me uncomfortable in my bad actions. It says, we're not supposed to enable. Keep away from those who are not living according to teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We are not to live idle when we are with you, nor do we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we work night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. And we did this because, uh, not because we don't have the right to such help, but in order that we offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were here with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. And we hear that some of you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people are, we command and urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and to earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. And take special note of anyone who does not obey our instructions in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Sometimes the word of God is uncomfortable, but I'm grateful for that because the last thing I need to hear is what I want to hear. I'm already telling myself that. This passage is is a difficult one, but I think it strikes right to the heart. The first thing he says there is, is, uh, I'm not messing around. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command you. This is not an op an option thing, right? And for those of us, you know, know that we move past the law from the old covenant, right? But there are still rules of how we're supposed to live. Think about your family. Do you have family rules? There are certain ways that things are supposed to work. These are some of the family rules in the body of Christ. And says, listen, these are not optional. Being the family of Christ, we command. <laughs> That's what the apostles said to the Holy Spirit. And so we have to listen to this because these apply to you and me. And so in verse 7, what, is, what are the things we're supposed, commanded to do? Well, we have to follow the example of the apostles. Right? He says, you know, follow our example. Like we did this, not because we had to, right? We earned our keep. We actually worked in the body of Christ. We didn't have to. We had this authority. We could have made you guys serve us, but we didn't. And the reason that we didn't is we set an example for you. And if they're setting an example for somebody, who are they setting an example for? You can raise your hand. That's you and me. This is an example for us. And if the apostle said, listen, we need to serve, we need to do our part in the church, how much more should we? They set this for us. So Paul is talking about the church, by the way. He's not setting up a new social order And this. He's talking to the church. This is a letter to the church. And he says, in the church, you need to be doing your part. You need to be active and actually working and not just going to church and, and being a mooch. You have work to do. You can't just go and be served. You need to go and serve. Just as Jesus said, I didn't come. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We have a great example to follow. And so we say this, that there is something that we ought to do. Every one of us needs to pull our own weight. Every single one of us. You have a ministry to do. You are a minister. When we talk about that in the church, we talk about that in our, in our membership class. I'm not kidding around. It's not me that says it. It's not our church that said, oh yeah, every member is a minister and it sounds nice. No, this is what God said. You are a minister and you have work to do and you will be held accountable to whether or not you did it. I have work to do and I will be held accountable of whether or not I did it. This is what it's about. And so we have work to do. Each of us needs to pull our own weight to the point that he says, if somebody is not, do not enable them. If they're not willing to work in the body of Christ, don't allow them to enjoy the benefits of the body of Christ. And there are lots of benefits in the body of Christ. There's got to be a motivation to. We cannot enable laziness. And that is hard. So we have to watch each other. Verse 10, he goes on. And this, he he gives us, uh, he says, uh, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Notice unwilling is different than unable. Okay? I get it. We go through life. There are certain things that we used to be able to do that now we're not. Right? And as we go through life, there are certain things that we weren't able to do beforehand that now we are. 
God's not asking you to serve in the areas you're unable. He's gifted you for ministry today. And your ministry today may be very different than it was 10 years ago or 15 years ago or five months ago. The question is not are you serving in ways that you can't, but are you serving in the ways that you can? It's an issue of the heart. There's something else, the truth in this, is that every person has the ability to serve, and it starts with an attitude. Are you willing? The biggest barrier to serving the body of Christ is not scheduling, it is attitude. It is a willingness. Am I going to do this? Am I going to lay down my time to, do, to build a kingdom that's not my own? And it says for those who are unwilling that they should not be included in the fellowship. Amongst us, there has to be this spoken rule that says if you're here, you're working. And is that a bad thing to do? Let's think about that. In my home, I've got a wonderful 11-year-old son. He is awesome, right? And I've got a beautiful wife, right? And I have a place there too. There are chores and rules and things that each of us need to do. None of us get a free pass. Can you imagine if I went home and I told Thomas, hey, you're not to do anything, right? Your mom and I will take care of everything. He sits around like a little prince. Just show up, right? We'll do your laundry. We're going to do all your dishes. You know, we're going to pick up everything and your socks and all that. You don't worry about it. You need anything, here's a little bell just dingling it, right? And you can let us know how dissatisfied you are with our service later on. We'll have a little customer service satisfactory thing for you. What kind of kid would we raise? A little tyrant. You know, in our family, there are things that you have to do. And there are things that you can't do. I don't have my son going out and, 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 you know, doing all these tasks. I don't have him up on the roof, you know, fixing stuff and pulling stuff. He'd get himself killed, right? It's not what he can't do, but he had better have a willingness. And if he doesn't have a willingness, he says, Dad, I don't want to do that. Well, we'll have a little adjustment, Right? <laughs> And I will tell you what, there are things that I need to do. And if I was laying around and I wasn't providing for my family because I have an able body and I could do that, my wife would be having a talk with me. And she'd be saying, you know what? There are things that you need to do for this family. You can get off that couch and you will get a job, right? There are things that are expected and it's healthy. It is healthy to do those things. And God has a healthy family and there are work for you to do. And you are his child. And because you are here, there is work for you to do. And is that a bad thing? No, it's an empowering thing. It's something that says you're part of us. We're, we're in this together. And when I serve my family, it's not just because I have to. I get to. I love my family. When I get to go and go to work, when I'm doing this, and I support my family, it, it gives me purpose and pride and value. You have purpose and pride and value in the kingdom of God. So he says, work. Every one of us has work to do. The, world, the church is not a welfare state. This is not a place for you to come and to sit and just to take up space and let everybody else serve you. This is a place that we come together and we do life together and we work together and we grow together and you have a part to play. And so we need to do that. Now, verse 11 addresses my concern that I had before and said, I am too busy to be a sloth, right? And this, when I read verse 11, it was like uh, I got a gut punch from God. And then I was like, thank you, sir, right? Because I needed it. And it says this, we hear that some of you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. If you're not busy doing the kingdom's work, you're still busy doing something, aren't you? You're building your own kingdom. You are what's called a busy body. Your body, your flesh, your body is busy doing things. I'm around doing all kinds of stuff, right? But I am not busy doing the kingdom's work. It's not a question of whether or not you are lazy or busy. The question, are you busy or are you a busy body? Are you taking the 24 hours that God has blessed you with every single day and are you, are you squandering those or are you spending it on doing what God said? Because your body is busy doing something every single moment. It doesn't like poof and stop existing between the hours of like three and four, right? It's always around, always doing something. Are you busy doing God's work or are you busy wasting your time? And it says that if we're busy bodies, we are disruptive, which is why it says that it hurts the whole body. Our example, the way that we live, can actually hurt the ministry of the church. Not just my faith, but can also hurt your faith as well. Think of it like this. On Sunday, one of the things that we get to do in building God's kingdom is to come together. It's actually commanded in Scripture, even to the point when, in the book of Hebrews when the church was facing horrible persecution. If you showed up and you gathered together as Christians, there's a good chance that Roman boots were going to kick down the door and you're going to get tortured, and the people that you knew were going to get tortured because of your faith in Christ, right? Even then it says, I urge you, do not get in the habit of meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Do not neglect the meeting together. Now, if that was the standard of, is church a priority? 
then like on Sunday, if I've got a hike that I really want to go to, somehow I don't think God's going to be impressed. Right? Here's the thing. We set our priorities somewhere. My body is busy doing something, but it's not building the kingdom. And I'll tell you what, if I am making a habit of leaving and not being part of the fellowship, right? This is the simplest act. This is the fun part. This is like coming to the party on Sunday when we get together and worship God. This is fun. And if we say, you know what? To everybody else, what I have to do is more important than this. It hurts your faith. Can you imagine if every single one of you did something else on Sunday? Three or four of you showed up. Would you feel encouraged? Would you feel like the faith is important? You would know that so-and-so is a believer, but you would see them out doing anything but the very simplest thing that God told them to do. Does that build your faith? You see, when we come together, we make a priority of being a family, just like my family, make a priority of coming around the dinner table. Somebody's missing. It, It hurts the rest of us, right? We make a priority and we set a standard. We say, look, God's kingdom is real and there's something we're supposed to do. And there is actually, there's an expectation of us. And if I'm here and you're here, there's an expectation that helps others come. And it helps others, all of us, make the right priorities, doesn't it? But when you set the wrong priorities, the way that you live helps others set wrong priorities. It doesn't just affect you. So it says you're idle at the Lord's work. You're disrupting the rest of us. If you've been here and you're part of this church and you are not serving, you don't have a ministry, you're not actually serving others because of Christ. There's no way that your faith is being expressed. You're hurting the rest of us. And the thing is, is that we're not supposed to kick you out. We're supposed to help you get engaged. That's what it's telling us to do. Stop being idle. Get engaged. Put your faith to practice. That's what we need to do. Now, verse 12, it says... uh, We go on. Isn't this a fun? Okay, verse 12, it says, Such people we command and even urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and to earn the food they eat. That's the whole thing. The the purpose of this is not for us to go around just being judgy. Are you serving God enough? God wants you to live according to that which he called you to. Right? Imagine if somebody gave you tickets to, I don't know, like Disney World or something like that, right? They gave you the tickets and they're like, have fun. I want you. I got fun for you to have, right? I gave you tickets, everything. I paid for all. You all you got to do is show up. And you do. You show up. You get to Disney World, you show up and you sit down on a bench. <laughs> Wasted tickets. Right? There was so much better. When you go to Disneyland, it's just walking in the gates isn't the best part. It's getting on the rides and meeting with the peoples and having the overpriced food and all that. That's all of it. God is giving you tickets to his kingdom. His kingdom, the real kingdom. We have a real castle, right? Jesus is like making a big, huge one, place for you, all that. We're a part of it. And there's work for you. There's something great for you to do here. And we understand that the work in the kingdom is not awful. Like when we're serving God, when I see people, when they start actually serving God in their life, they find purpose and meaning and value. Their lives change. It's when life gets fun. It's when the heaviness and the burden and and the darkness of this world starts to lift and they start to realize that there's something more in this life than what they ever thought. And and all of a sudden, life becomes fun. Not easy, but fun. It's got purpose. You know, this is what it says. Do your part. If you're not doing your part, start doing your part. It's, It's pretty easy. Get to work. Now, verse 13, for those of you who are doing your part, here, get this. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Right? Most of my ministry now is actually spent, and I'm so blessed for this, I get to spend a lot of time in studying God's Word and praying for you guys. That's what I do the majority of my time because I've had brothers and sisters start to step up in areas of ministry. I've been able to delegate and get to support them, which is great. Right? But I'll tell you before this, like the previous years, a good portion of my ministry has been this, going after people who are serving and getting exhausted. And like saying, please don't stop serving, which I realized was really dumb, right? It says this for us, don't get tired. You need to self-regulate. Don't get tired of doing good. If you're serving in the kingdom, part of it, you got to take the responsibility. When somebody comes to me and they say, Aaron, I'm done with ministry, I'm burnt out, I can't help, right? They're already burnt out. How am I supposed to help? It also says, don't get tired. Now, think about the last time you you can tell it's a while for me, but the last time you went on a run, okay? And you were just like jogging. Did you come to a point where you said, I think I'll get tired now. I'm choosing to get tired. Is that what happened? 
No, because that would be crazy. That would be so fun. None of us would ever choose to get tired. The thing is, when we're serving God, none of us ever want to get burned out. None of us ever choose to. What happens is we're, we're working in God and we naturally get tired, which was why God said one of his priorities is a Sabbath, right? An actual day of rest, a recharge. But we ignore that because we're too busy, right? But we go and we serve and we serve and we serve and we serve and we, serve and we start to get tired. It's not wrong to get tired. The problem is, is if we don't reach out for help, right? We don't find balance. If you're serving God and you're finding that you're getting burned out, you're getting exhausted, there's a couple things that could be it. Maybe that you've been in the trenches so long that you've, you just need to look up and see the cross. You need to see that Jesus is coming back, that your work actually matters. That's really engaging. That's really helpful. But sometimes you're down there and you're just doing the work and you're serving and it's all you see and it just becomes all-encompassing. And you need somebody to come alongside and encourage you to say, yeah, but look what you're doing it for. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's why I'm doing it. And that can help. Sometimes it's just because you're in the wrong trench. You know, maybe 10 years ago you were supposed to serve in doing that. But now God has something different for you to do. You have the wrong tools for that trench. And you are beating yourself up. Maybe it's time for a change. Well, I need to know that before it gets to crisis stage, please. I'm not omnipresent right? I'm not with, as hard as it's believed, I don't know what's happening in every single one of your lives as much as I would love to. If you're getting tired of where you're serving, come talk to me. That's what a pastor does. I'm here to support you and to serve you. I'll talk through what, maybe, what, maybe you just need new tools. Maybe the tools you got are dull, right? Maybe we need to move you to a different place. That's fine. That's what I do. I'm pretty good at it. But come, don't let yourself grow weary, Take some responsibility for your own spiritual health. If you're doing the Lord's work, don't get to a point where you're like, oh, I've got to keep on doing this forever. You know, oftentimes what churches have done, and we've done this too, to our, to our shame, is we just take somebody, we're like, we have this need. You fill it, and now you filled it, and you're the wrong person. Like, you are a triangle in a circle, in a circle kind of place, right? And you're there, and you're serving. You shouldn't be. And we're like, oh, it's done. They got it, right? And then we'll leave you there to die, okay? <laughs> if we have done that, I am so sorry, That's not what we're supposed to do. That was us not doing our job right. But if you are in that spot, you need to tell me. We'll make it right. Because there's a place that you are supposed to serve. And there's somebody else who's supposed to serve in that place. So don't grow weary in doing the Lord's work. Now, look at this. It says, don't grow weary in doing what is good. Serving God is always good, isn't it? Is there ever going to come a time? You'll get to heaven, you'll look back on your life, and you'll have that end-of-life review, and you'll look back on it, and then you'll go through, I serve God there, there, and there, and all that kind of stuff. And there's never going to come a time you're looking at it and say, well, I wish I didn't serve God then. Right? It's always good, and when we serve God, good things happen, because God is good. And so we don't grow weary at those things. There's a part of us that says, okay, I'm going to be busy doing God's work. I need to make sure that I don't get exhausted in it. That means you need to come and talk with me. Also, okay, let's go to 1st 14 and 15. And it says, Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instructions in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Now, that's hard, right? Because we don't want to feel judgmental or anything like that. And I think part of it is we recognize that Jesus did say, Hey, listen, don't judge lest you be judged. And he did say that, but sometimes we boil down the totality of all of Christ's teachings to, the, to that one phrase. That's not good. Because right after that, Jesus says, you know what? If somebody else does these things, you know, you, you need to make sure that you get it corrected, right? Uh, and we, when we talked about the plank in somebody's eye, he says, okay, first take out the plank from your own eye, then you can help somebody else. Here it does tell us that we're supposed to hold each other accountable, and that's a good thing. What he, Jesus was talking about, he says, don't judge unless you be judged. He says, listen, if you're always going around telling people while they're wrong, don't expect a lot of mercy from a lot of other people, Right? If you go around and tell people, listen, hey, I can help you. You've got purpose and you give them mercy and, and grace and all that kind of stuff. Guess what you can expect from other people? Encouragement and mercy and grace. That's what he's talking about. He's not saying, well, everybody can do whatever they want and God doesn't care. Because he does. And we are supposed to hold each other accountable. And we're supposed to hold each other accountable because in our culture, it's really hard to keep God's priorities. Because everything in this world is telling us everything else is important but what God's priorities are. So we need to help hold each other accountable. And if somebody in our body says, we know what God's priorities are, but we still aren't going to do that, then we're supposed to say, well, I'm sorry. We're, we can't, you can't enjoy the fellowship of this. We're not going to give you free bread, right? You've got to do your part. And why are we supposed to do that? So they'll feel ashamed. Well, you say, well, that's a mean motivation. Yeah, but God uses it, right, doesn't he? I mean, has God ever used guilt in your life to help you turn around? You're going to do something really stupid, and then you feel guilty about it, and then you change course, and it saves you? 
right? I was a little kid. There used to be a grocery store on the other side of town called Circle Super, and it was a, now there's a thrift store in there. And I was a little kid, and, um, and I was walking through, and all I knew is that um, my mom, when she put the groceries on the conveyor belt, that she would walk by and the guy would put them in a bag and then she would take them home. I didn't see the rest of the interaction because my head was here and the counter was here, right? But I did know this. My mom didn't want me to have candy, right? She said, candies, uh, we didn't, I didn't have sugar for like the longest time, which is why I love it so much now. And <laughs> because my mama loved me, right? She said, no, no candy, right? So one of those days she was putting on the, uh, the conveyor belt all of the, the food and it went down the line, and her back was turned, and they had this wall of candy behind me. It was just because I was this tall, and the wall was like all these uh, bubble gum, and, and they had uh, little lifesaver rolls and all this kind of stuff, and it was just like, oh. It was, the temptation was there. So I took the, the, the candy from, that I wanted, a lifesaver pack, and then I went and I waved it to the person. Of course, they didn't see my hand above it. I didn't know that's what I had to do. I just, uh, they showed it. Okay. And then I took it. Now, I didn't know I was choplifting, but I did know that I was violating what my mom had told me to do. Right? And so I thought it was a fine thing to do, and I enjoyed some of that candy, and then later on, that candy became very bitter to me because every time I saw it, I felt guilty. And I see the candy, like, oh. Right? So what did I do? I went and I told my mom. I said, Mom, I took this. And, of course, she was upset, one, because I disobeyed, but also because I, I shoplifted. So I had to go back, and then they explained to me how everything worked. If that guilt didn't turn me around, I would have shoplifted a lot of other things, I'm sure of it, not knowing that I was shoplifting. <laughs> right? As a kid, I'd be like, hey, I like this too, and I like this, and eventually I would have gotten caught. It would have built a habit in my life that had been bad. That guilt turned me around. God sometimes uses uncomfortable things to help us. Right? That's the purpose of pain. And so we want somebody to feel ashamed if they're not doing the right things. Not because we want them to feel ashamed, but because we want them to do the right things. So what does it go on to say then? Yet do not regard them as an unbeliever or an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Because they are a fellow believer. When some brother or sister is in sin, we don't go, you awful, horrible pagan, the last person we want to talk to. No. It's this, man, you've got work to do. I don't want to do work. Well, you do have work to do, <laughs> and you're going to be good at it, right? And we want you to do that, and there's a place for you here. So as soon as you're ready, there is a place for you. It's just like when my son doesn't want to do his chores, right? Do I kick him out of the house? Get out of here! <laughs> no, I'm like, dude, you've got to go to your room right now, and you've got to think this through, and you're ready to do your part. Come on out. And when he comes on out, there's hugs, and there's joy, and he does his job, and it's good. You have work to do, and we're to keep each other accountable on it. And I get this. We are saved by God's grace, yes, and we are kept by God's grace, yes. This is not a salvation issue. But you were saved for good, good works. And anyone who tells you that faith does not require faithfulness is giving you half of the gospel. They're giving you the tickets to, to Disneyland, and they're telling you to sit on a park bench, and that's enough. God says there's more, and he wants you to have the more. So let's live for that. So what are some symptoms that we have of laziness? You say, am I lazy in my life? Because I have got a very full schedule. Here's some things that I found in Scripture that gave me a good, good tool. To say, Listen, am I being lazy? First symptom of laziness that I found is this. It is that you lack follow-through. Look at this proverb, Proverb 19. It says, a sluggard buries his hand in the dish. You don't even bring it back to his mouth. He's got a good start, right? He sees the dish of M&Ms, and he's like, oh, M&Ms, awesome. This will be great. Boom! And then he gets there and he's like, oh. He gets either distracted, what were you talking about? Or he's like, I don't want to bring that all the way back up to my mouth. And he doesn't enjoy the M&Ms. Right? Lack of follow-through. Now, here's the thing. A lot of times, a lot of Christians, we see a great ministry. We see God can do something amazing, right? And we want to be part of that. And we're like, oh! And we start. We get started into it. We put our hand all the way down there. And then we stop because it's going to require effort. We've got to do something. we actually got to put that M&M into our mouth. But what's the best part of eating M&Ms? Putting them in your mouth. It's like chewing them. That's where it gets good. See, a lot of times we get burned out of ministry, we keep putting our hands in the dishes, and we never bring it in our mouth. We're like, I never get M&Ms. Right? If you don't have follow-through, you're never going to have joy. Sometimes in ministry, it's not just that you start. Are you finishing the things that you started? If you find yourself that you've got great start but no follow-through... You've got this thing going on in your life. Here's what you need to do. Finish. Don't start anything new until you finish. 
right? That, that's what you do. And it seems so simple, but it's so life-changing, right? So if it's going to be, maybe your ministry is to your neighbor. It's maybe a, a, a person that's lonely or something like that. And you started, you, you maybe made an outreach to them. You went over to them, you knocked on the door and said, hey, I'm your neighbor, is there anything I do pray for you or I want to care for you or something like that? And that was the last thing you did because then you realized that they started opening up and they've got problems and burdens. And... <laughs> Go back. Knock on the door. When it snows, shovel their walk. That's what you need to do. You need to follow through. You need to carry on so they can see the love. Right? That's what it requires. Follow through. And if you see in your life a lack of follow through, there's sloth. And of course, the cure to sloth Jesus shows us is, well, we'll talk about it in a minute, but follow through. All right. Now, we've got another one. I like this. Another symptom of laziness is excuses. Right? I love this. This is one of my favorite passages of all the scripture. It says this. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I'll be killed in the public square. Have you ever heard the dumbest excuses as to why somebody can't serve for ministry? I have. And I, and I keep hearing new ones all the time, sometimes from me. Right? But here's this way. A sluggard will say, you know, I got to go to the Safeway, but there are mountain lions in Estes. <laughs> chances are, slim, but chances are I could be killed. So I can't risk that. I'll just stay on my couch with my few little Cheetos that I still have, and maybe I'll call somebody else to go to Safeway for me. And God says, no! <laughs> Get out there and do it. Thing is, is, we come up with all kinds of excuses of why we can't serve God. My favorite and the one that I use the most in my own life is this. I'm too busy, Lord. You know where that goes to? It's, it's, it's me setting my kingdom above his. That's what it comes down to. I'm too busy for what you want me to do? Then who is boss in my life? I hear it all the time. You know, somebody said, I would really love to serve God in this, but, and you could list the excuse. I would come to church on Sunday, but, list the excuse. I would serve the kids, and the but, right? All of these, all of us have our buts, right? We have too many of them. And I'm speaking to myself too. I told you, I stepped on my toes a lot. The scripture did when I was going through this. We've got to stop the excuses. Because there's a time coming when, when there will be no reason for excuse. Jesus will come back. He will hold us to account. And he's not going to be impressed by our excuses. He said, I gave you that time that you invested in what I told you to invest it in. Where your priorities, my priorities. He's not going to be real impressed by all the things that we come up with as to why we were too busy to do what he asked us to do. Because we know that, living a wise life starts to live a different kind of life, a life according to his priorities. And so when I say to God, I'm too busy to serve you, I've got all these other reasons to serve you, what I'm really saying is, God, I don't want to serve you, I want to serve me. And that's the, really the heart of sloth, isn't it? That's the heart of laziness, is putting me and my comfort and my desires above God's. And when I do that, I am now on the throne of my life, not God. That's called having an idol. No wonder having an idol is at the core of idleness. We need to make sure that the right thing in our life is Christ and everything else revolves around that. So, we have these excuses that hurt us. We'll talk about the cure. Cure is awesome. Jesus cures laziness with diligence. You're like, well, that's not surprising. I know. But it's still profound. Right? There's something that he calls us to do. Do you have your Bible? You want to turn it to Luke 19. There's a story that Jesus tells, a parable. I'm going to read with you, and uh, it's a great one. And he talks directly about this. We're going to start in verse 11. Um, so on page 733. And uh, it's at the very top of the page if you have one of our Bibles here. And it says this. While they were listening to this, so the people around Jesus, he said, uh, he went to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to come appear at once. So he said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then return. So he called ten of his servants and he gave them ten minas. That's some money. And he put his money, and, and, and he said, Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. Well, he was made king, and he returned home. When he sent for the servants whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it, and the first came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. 
The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, Well, take charge of five cities. And another answered, uh, and another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I kept it laid away in a place, in a piece of cloth. And I was afraid of you because I know that you're a hard man. Take what, is, uh, take, what you did not, uh, you take what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. And so his master replied, Well, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man, taking what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then did you not put my money in deposits so that when I came back I could at least have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing thereby, Take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. And he replied, Well, I tell you that everyone who has more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine, those who did not want him to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Yeah, sometimes Jesus says hard things. But he talks about the kingdom of God. This is a parable. He's explaining what is the kingdom of God like. And so when we look at a parable, he said, what do these things mean? Well, the first thing is we know that Jesus is the king, right? He came from a noble birth. He's the son of God. He came to be king and all that kind of stuff. We are the servants, right? We, the people that are part of his kingdom, which are Christians, right? We're part of his kingdom. He's given us things to do. Whoa. Uh, he's, careful there. Stand on that spot. He's given us work to do. We are the servants, Right? The minas are our ministries. He's given each of us a ministry, something to do, ways to serve. He's given us gifts, abilities, talents. He's given us treasure. He's given us all kinds of stuff, right? He's given us something to invest. And we each have been given at least one. You notice in the story, every, every servant had one mina, right? Just like we have one life to live. What are you doing with it? And also we see that this, that there will be coming a day of account and every single servant will be held account those who did well and those who did not. Every single one of us is going to stand before our God someday and we'll have to give an account to how we invested this life. Did we use it for what he asked us to? Some of us will give the 10, right? That's what I want to be. I want to be the servant. Like when Jesus comes back and be like, yes, show up. I want to show you what I did, right? And some will be like the ones that did, oh, I did pretty good, right? I got a five. And some have squandered their life. And lived for themselves and said, you know what, I'm, t- I'm just scared of God and I don't want to mess it up or anything like that. I'm just going to keep it safe. Each one of us will be held accountable. And those of us, the cool thing about God is that even when we do our job, he doesn't just say, hey, yeah, you did your job. He'll reward us. How cool is that? And he was like, oh, you got 10 minus? I'll tell you what, I'll give you 10 cities. That's pretty cool. And so we look at this, uh, we recognize that... Uh, our lives matter in what we do. Titus 3 says this, people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Look at that. We forget sometimes the important things in this, that we need to devote ourselves to this. There has to be a devotion in our lives. When you say I'm devoted to something, it's more than, hey, I just casually like it. I'm going to do this when, I, when it's convenient, right? If you're devoted to like a sports team, you're never going to miss a game, right? You're devoted to that. If you're, you're supposed to be devoted to your spouse, people who are married, isn't that a little different relationship than you have with any of your other friends? Because none of your other friends, if you stand before God and said, when things are good or when they're bad, whether you're sick or you're healthy, whether it's, I get richer from this or, because, or if it hurts me financially, I'm going to be with you. You don't say that to any other friend, right? You're devoted to your spouse. There's a different kind of thing. When we need to be devoted to what? Doing what is good. That's God's work in your life. That is your ministry. That's what you're supposed to do. And when we don't do that, what happens? We live unproductive lives. I'll tell you, a lot of people that are on the Fortune 500, wealthiest people in the world, have lived very unproductive lives because when they die, they're going to look back and there's going to be nothing they take with them. I have been in enough bedsides when people passed on. Wealthy people and poor people on both hands and both sides, I've seen people say this, I've squandered my life. I wish I would have. I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have cared for this person. I wish I would have spent less time doing this. They have regret. They look back and said, I squandered this. Some of them were very, very wealthy and successful in business, and some of them were not. But I've heard it from both sides saying, I wasted it. Don't be that person. But you know what? I've also been at the bedside of people when they passed on on the other side, both wealthy and poor. They look back and they have family and those around them, and they say this to those that are close to them, keep the faith. 
follow my example. Don't give up. It matters. They look to those and the people that they invested in, the ministry they invested to, and they say to those that are closest to them, live for this. They're excited to move on. They're excited for what comes next. And their biggest burden is that those who come after them will continue that. Those that are in their family, they care for the most. Be that person. Be the kind of person that leaves a legacy, that lives a legacy so you can live, leave one. Be that person. Be devoted. Don't live an unproductive life. How we live matters. 1 Corinthians says this, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor for the Lord is never in vain. Why does it say stand firm? Why does it say let nothing move you? Because things will try to move you. This world is all about trying to get you to lose your priorities. Everything in this world is telling you, listen, don't minister to God. Live for yourself. All that. Stand firm. You have to trust that what we're doing for God's kingdom actually matters. And that's where faith comes in. Have you seen Jesus come in his glory yet? Have you seen the kingdom? Have you seen what's coming next? No, I haven't either. I'm taking God's word on it. Am I foolish for doing so? Hmm. Well, let me look back. Did Abraham see the, all of the, the nations and all that stuff that he would impact when God said to go live in a tent, when he was out in the desert all by himself without a kid? Did he see it? No, he said he lived by faith. He trusted that God would keep his word, and boy, did God ever keep his word. And we still name our kids after Abraham today, right? God does what he says. Was, was Noah, was he, you know, when he was building the boat, did he see all kinds of water? He says, oh, I see why I'm doing this. No, he allowed everybody else saying, you're wasting your time. Spend your weekends doing something else. No, you don't even live around water. Why? You don't even like animals, right? All that. But he built it because he knew that a flood was coming because God had told him. He trusted it. Now, our God is not just coming. He came. He died. He rose again and is, is proven. And he said, I'm coming back. When I come back, I'm bringing my reward with me. You have to live by faith, knowing that what we do for God is not in vain. Right now, you're not going to get your reward. That's okay. But that's where faith comes in. First Thessalonians says this, take, make it your ambition then to leave a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life will win the respect of outsiders, right? And so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Christian life is not an act of like, when you serve God, it's not about doing the big things. Sometimes we get to do the big things. Sometimes we get to build the boat. Most of the times we get to put on the towel and we get to wash other people's feet. That's what we get to do. It's in the little things of your life. Are you serving one another in Christ regularly? Is it part of your lifestyle? Because it's the lifestyle of normally serving Christ that will allow those big things to actually matter. If you live a horrible life and then you go do something huge, people will be like, well, that was a weird thing that that person did. But if you are living your life loving other people consistently, when you are caring for your neighbor, when you are praying for that difficult boss, right? When you are, when you are guiding and helping that difficult employee, right? When you're caring for that difficult child, right? And you are there consistently. You are showing love regularly. It's part of your life. You are serving. That makes an impact on everybody else around you. They see it because it doesn't make sense. Like, why are you living for something that doesn't necessarily benefit you directly? And you say, oh, well, there's a kingdom I'm building. <laughs> there's something more important than I'm doing. It gives us a testimony. It gives us respect. If we want to be respected, have people take the gospel seriously. It needs to be in every part of our life. We need to actually live like the kingdom of God is real, right? That we're actually a part of it and our lives matter and that we really are his ministers. And we start doing that, we win the respect of outsiders. Not only that, we don't become mooches in the church. We don't just sit there and say, hey, everybody else in the body of Christ served me. We get to join in and help other people. All right, so how do we bring this all together? What are some things that we, we've learned from this? At least for me, these are my big takeaways. First one is that laziness is busyness misdirected. I realized, I looked at my schedule, and I was like, wow, I am really busy, maybe not doing the right things. And so we also see that laziness, it hurts the whole body. That was a real huge thing because I love this body more than, well, it, you're my family. And when I realized that my life how I live really does impact you. It gives me a better motivation to how I should live. Also, we say this, then we need to be diligent in ministry. And then our ministry is our testimony. We need to give ourselves to the work of God and recognize that how I live for God is how other people see if my faith is real or not. If you've got a powerful testimony, it's because you have a powerful life in Christ. And if you have a weak testimony, it's because you have a weak life in Christ. So look at your testimony and let your ministry become great. And also get this, this was a great one for me. Diligence will be rewarded. I've been given lots of opportunities. God's given me lots of opportunities since I started studying this to lay down my priorities for his, right? And it's been, some of it's been painful, but it's always been good. 
recognize that Jesus is coming back. How we live for him matters. Let's be a church that's faithful. Let's build his kingdom. Let's stop playing footsie with the Almighty. Let's actually get out and do some great things together because there's good work for us. Great work. And that's what we want to do. So how do you put this into practice? Well, I have a couple suggestions. These are things that I actually applied in my own life as I began addressing this. And these worked for me, so I'm going to suggest them to you. So maybe some next steps. If you've got your connection card, if you want to look on the back side, there's some uh, suggestions. And uh, here's some things that may be helping you if you're like, oh, yeah, maybe I struggle with this. I didn't realize I did. First one is this. Memorize Proverbs 10.4. That uh, lazy hands bring poverty. Yeah, I get that. But... Are my hands lazy at, at the right things or are they lazy at the wrong things? All right, that diligent hands bring wealth. Am I building wealth just in this earth that's going to disappear or am I building the real kind of wealth? So when I, I have this passage on my day timer now, every morning when I make my, my schedule and I look at what I'm doing, this becomes something for me as a, as, a, as a filter. Am I busy doing God's stuff? And you know, God's stuff sometimes sends me to Safeway. And sometimes it sends me, you know, to the office. And sometimes it sends me to go call somebody in the hospital. God has a lot of things, but am I doing God's work consistently? Maybe that memory verse will be a help for you to recognize. Are we living for what really matters? The next thing is read Ezra. Why? One, because he's got a fun name. But I think the other part, you get to read it a lot. And a lot of other cool guys have fun names in there. But here's the thing. Here's a guy that was given a really difficult task. Right? He had to go back and build a wall uh, you know, around a, a city that had been destroyed with people around him that are trying to kill him and you know, a political situation where he's got a lot of people doing backhanded stuff and everything seemed to be against him. And I'll tell you, a guy who did not use excuses right, but, but showed what diligence is all about, this is Ezra. right? I mean, just a phenomenal story about, you know what, you'd, sometimes you just have to, to stop having excuses and you have to have follow-through. And for a guy like me, that was a really good thing to see. I could see an example of this guy's life of, you know, how do you press on when everything else is coming against you? How do you stand firm? Ezra does it. So maybe that's a, a good book for you to read this week. Also, you could do is reprior- reprioritize your schedule. This is how I did mine. I went for two weeks, and I wrote down every single thing I did every single day, every minute, right? So if I was sleeping, that was blocked. That was sleep to actually when I woke up. So I set my schedule in the morning, and at night, that, well, actually, I did it the next morning. I would go back through and say, how did I really spend my time? And I wrote it down. And I looked at those things. I did two weeks. I want to make sure I didn't have like one like really awesome week and it would throw me off, right? So two weeks. And I wrote down and then I looked through and I said, where are my priorities? What does this schedule tell me about my priorities? And then I also started to ask God, what are your priorities? What do you want me to do? And I realized that I wasn't spending the right time doing the right things. And one of the things I wasn't doing is I wasn't resting. And one of God's big priorities was a Sabbath. And that was a real tough one for me because I'm like, I felt guilty about resting. And then I realized how the balance that it starts putting into your life. And I kind of ease into the whole Sabbath thing, right? But I start putting God's priorities, what he wants me to do first in his schedule. Then I started building everything else around it. So that was huge for me. And so now I don't guess, am I living for God's kingdom? I actually get to start every morning with a conversation with God. What do you want from me? And his priorities sometimes are different than mine. Okay, how about this? Have a ministry interview. Some of you have already signed up for one. We haven't got a chance. If, if you've got my emails and you haven't emailed me back yet and say so you want to do these, email me. Let's get together. Let's talk. If you're not serving, you don't know how you're serving God, you need to start. I want to help you. So let me do that. Get into a ministry interview. Let's get together. Let's switch. If you set this up, make sure I know who you are. Give me your contact information. We'll get together. It takes about an hour and a half. We'll talk about you, what your passions are, your history, all that kind of stuff, and we'll help you start serving. Sometimes it's a ministry in the church. A lot of times it's areas that you're already at. And it's just how the church can support you in those things. Let us know what your, uh, what your commitments are. You may have something else. Or maybe here this morning, you're like, Aaron, you keep talking about building a kingdom and all that. It makes no sense, but it, but it sounds cool. If you are interested in that, let me know you're interested about starting a relationship with Jesus, right? Uh, living for purpose, living for, for a reason, right? To have this kind of thing. If you check that, it doesn't make you a Christian. What it does, it says you want more information. We'll get together. We'll talk about it. What does it mean to be a Christian? How do you follow him? And if you're ready, we'll help you take those steps of faith so then you can begin walking in faithfulness. All right. And also, if you have a prayer request, please write that down. Um, so that way I could be praying for you this week. I would sure love that. And uh, if we do that, then in just a minute, we're going to take our offering. As we take our offering, put these in the offering basket as it's passed. We would sure appreciate it. All right. Well, let's pray for that. We'll have the worship band come out and uh, lead us in another worship song before we leave. All right. Let's pray. Father God, we love the fact that you love us. And because you loved us first... Lord, we can love you back. And so, Father, let this be a congregation that loves you. Lord, I, I, I know that myself, when I was coming through this particular uh, verse or this uh, sin, I fell under a lot of conviction in my own life about how I was not living 
for your kingdom but my own. And so, Father, I thank you for your grace. You're a God that, that doesn't just send lightning bolts. But Father, you send love and encouragement and truth, and you help us get in the right track. Father, I pray that you help me walk in this uh, repentance, that I live my life invested fully for yours. And Father, I pray for those that are here that may be in the same boat. Father, where they've sensed that, man, they've just been having their priorities in the wrong place. Father, we pray not just conviction, but Father, we pray that your, your, your healing hand and repentance would be real in their life. Help this body, this church, be a place of encouragement for them. Lord, help us to encourage one another to, to serve. I pray that you would, your Holy Spirit would guide them, get them in, involved in the ministry that you have pre-prepared for them. God, that they are, are set to do, that you have set them up for success, so help them connect and that help me as a pastor, as, as a leader in the church to, to guide and protect them. And, and Father, I pray that our church would be a church that is active in, in building your kingdom, not our own. So Father, we confess each of us the ways that we've been uh, misusing our time, but Lord, we also confess our need for your help to use our time right because we know that change comes with the Holy Spirit. So Father God, help us through your Holy Spirit, not just bringing conviction, but bringing life change, the ability and the power to live righteously, to live lives that matter, that aren't unproductive. <coughs> Father God, we also pray for our community in this too. I pray that our lives would be a testimony to the people in Estes, to show them that the, why the way we live, that there is a kingdom that outlasts this world and there is a hope that is far bigger than anything this life can offer. Father, only that you can offer. So may they see from our very lives the truth of your gospel lived out. And so, Father, we pray for that, for our con- uh, these uh, connections, cards, the uh, com- things that we were making, the uh, commitments. Father, help us bless those that we would keep them and change us from the inside out as we do that. Father, we also pray for our blessings the, uh, that we receive from you, Father, even monetary. And so, Lord, um, as you've given to us, we want to give back to you. So our tithes and our offerings, Lord, please accept these as gifts, investments in your kingdom. Will you build your kingdom not just in us but in this whole community for your glory? We ask in Jesus' name, amen.